Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Play ball! It's 30 with Murdy with your host, Sweeney Murdy. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. On this episode of 30 with Murdy, I chat with Eric Kratz, the well-traveled catcher who wrapped up his 19-year professional career with the Yankees last season. That was a little over 300 major league games in 19 years, but over 1,000 minor league games. That means a lot of packing and moving. In fact, you'll hear earlier in our conversation as Kratz rattles off every one of his 17 minor league stops and then some plus his many call-ups and demotions. It's great life as a pro baseball player, but a tough physical and emotional ride, too. At the end of this talk, you'll hear Kras talk a little bit more about his relationship with young pitchers and players, specifically the influence he had on Davey Garcia, and vice versa. It was a fun relationship to see from afar, and Kratz gives us a little glimpse here. You might recall the viral video of Kratz yelling, I can't wait to go out and play catch with my son, when he ran out to warm up Garcia before an inning, uh, who obviously was about half his age. And then there was another viral video of, of Kratz breaking down crying, talking about the impact and responsibility he felt taking care of a young pitcher from a foreign land who was really, as we said, just young enough to be his son. Kratz enjoyed every bit of his 19-year career, but you'll hear a little bit about the good and the bad of a life in baseball that is guaranteed only one day at a time, not with a $300 million contract. Here is my conversation with Eric Kratz. Kratz, here's an easy place to start. It's early March, and this is the first time in a really long time we're not at spring training. Do you miss it yet? I don't miss it. I, I can... I can shoot the bull and make fun of people for breaking their bats in BP from my from my phone just like I would have if I was behind the plate. And I don't have any anxiety of moving my family into a into a new apartment or anything like that. It's it is. I had a good run. I guess I guess if I don't miss it, that means I gave it what I had when I had it. Well, a pretty good run for sure, but it's it's different and. You know, what you speak about trying to move your family in, you know, that's something that a lot of people don't understand. And uh, because you see guys who sign, you know, eight-year contracts, nine-year contracts, and, well, those guys get to stay in one place. Um, you moved around a lot, and I'm curious if – I played this exercise with my buddy Randy Choate once, and he nailed it. It took him a few minutes, but he got it. Can you name every place you stopped in your professional career in order? Oh, for sure. Do you want do you Go. want every time I got do you want every time I got sent up and sent down from double A AA to triple A also? Let's start with Medicine Hat in two thousand two and, and take me to present day. Okay. To pres to present day Telford, Pennsylvania. Um all right, so from there I did go to Instructs at the end of that season. The next season I went to extended spring training in Dunedin, Florida, Auburn, New York. 
from Auburn, New York, I spent one day in New Haven, Connecticut, and got sent back to Auburn, New York. I did not go to Instructs again that year, thank goodness. The next year, I started the season in high A. I went from high A Dunedin to the Phantom DL to double A New Hampshire, back down to extended spring training, back up to double A New Hampshire, back to Auburn, New York for a month, and then back to high A. So 2004 was completed. 2005, I went to New Hampshire, and I spent the entire season there finishing out in the Arizona Fall League with, it was the, all the prospects and me. I'm not <laughs> sure even to this day why, why I went, but I did go. Um, and then in 2006, I started in New Hampshire, got called up to AAA Syracuse, sent down to New Hampshire, called back up to AAA Syracuse, and finished in New Hampshire again. 2007, New Hampshire, Syracuse, and back down to New Hampshire again. So only one trip to Syracuse that year. It was glorious. And <laughs> 2008, I started in New Hampshire again, went to Syracuse for one more time, and went back down to New Hampshire again for the last month of the season. Signed with the Pirates, played in AAA Indianapolis the entire season, went and played for the Aguilas Cibaenas, in La Liga de Dominicana. And the next season, I started in Indianapolis. And in July, I made the big leagues with the Pirates of Pittsburgh. <laughs> I spent a glorious, a glorious month up in the big leagues, back down to Indianapolis. And off the roster, got selected to go play for Team USA in San Juan, Puerto Rico, for the... Pre-Mundial, the Pan Am game qualifiers, and then I signed with the Philadelphia Phillies, played in AAA Lehigh Valley, the Iron Pigs with Ronnie Belliard and Tag Bozade, and then I went to the big leagues in September, and for the first time as a 31-year-old, I got kept on the 40-man roster, started 2012 in Lehigh Valley again, and I went to the big leagues, got sent down. The first time I got called up for Roy Holiday, went on the DL for a quick stint. The second time I got called up, Chooch went on the, no, Chooch did not go on the DL that time. I got called up, and Chooch didn't go on the DL, but he was going to be on the DL. The next time I got called up, Jimmy Rollins, wife had a baby, so that was a quick little jaunt up to the big leagues. And then the last time, Jim Tomey's back hurt. So he went on the DL, <laughs> and so I got called up for, in one year I got called up for three potential Hall of Famers, yeah. Jim Tomey, Roy Holiday, and Jimmy Rollins. Anyway, go ahead. I completed the season in the big leagues, spent the entire 2013 season in the big leagues, except for two games in AAA as a rehab, uh, and I think one game in AA maybe. My rehab got cut short. Um, and then 14, I got traded to the Blue Jays to catch R.A. Dickey, which I never did catch him. And it wasn't because <laughs> I couldn't catch the knuckleball. It's just because I never did. Um, I did start – I got optioned down four days before spring training ended and got called up the day before the season started. So technically, I made the opening day roster. Got sent down five times to Buffalo before I – 
my last time I got sent down, about seven days later, I got traded to the Royals. Royals, the entire season, all the way through game seven, I got to watch, had front row seats for the playoffs. That's what I say about that season. <laughs> I never got to play, just front row seats. 15, I started the season with the Royals. Uh, went on the Phantom DL in the big league. And by the middle of the season, I got DFA'd after a trip to Omaha. And the Red Sox picked me up for two days. And then I signed with the Mariners in AAA for 10 days. And then I came back and re-signed with the Phillies in AAA. Went back up to the big leagues. 2016, I signed with the San Diego Padres. I went to spring training the entire time and got traded to the Astros. Um, I was with the Astros for about six weeks until Evan Gaddis got healthy. I got DFA'd by the Astros. I got signed by the Angels. Went to Salt Lake City for three to four weeks-ish, somewhere in there. Late one night, actually it was late, it was normal time, West Coast, late East Coast time, Francisco Cervelli broke his hamate bone. They traded for me before my first at-bat in Fresno. We were playing Fresno, so I flew across the country, got into Pittsburgh at 6.45, and I was in the game at 8.15, um, catching Archimedes Camarena, who was throwing 100 with sink and a... <laughs> Blitter, fork ball, whatever it was. And then, so that was the Pirates. And then I got DFA when Cervelli came back. And I signed, I agreed to a contract with the Atlanta Braves, which they ended up calling me back 10 minutes later and saying they signed somebody else. So I didn't have a contract. That was, yeah, that's a whole nother podcast for you. Yeah, anyway. um, And then... So I signed with the Blue Jays. I finished the season out in AAA with the Blue Jays. They did not call me up. 2017, I signed with the Indians. Spent the entire season in AAA with the Columbus Clippers. Ring your bells. Yeah. And they they did not call me up, or they weren't going to call me up. Gary Sanchez and Austin Romine got in a fight with Miguel Cabrera and the Yankees traded for me. Um, that season, I made the AAA All-Star team as a 37-year-old. So you're really doing it. Oldest guy in school. Um, <laughs> and the Yankees DFA'd me. I signed back in spring training in 18 with the Yankees. Went to Scranton. And in May, got traded to the Brewers. Spent the entire season rest of the season in the big leagues with the Brewers. And I agreed to a contract with the Brewers that off season. I still had, I was still, I wasn't a free agent in the big leagues. I didn't have a service time yet. And then they, in January, um, they signed Yasmani Grandal and I became a extra pawn on the board. So my time in Brewers organization was coming to an end. And probably the last three days of spring training, I got traded to the Giants until Stephen Vogt got healthy. Um, they called him up. I got 
originally I was going to get DFA'd, then I got Phantom DL'd, then I got reactivated, and then I was going to be DFA'd, but the Rays got all, all their catchers got hurt. And so Zunino, I think, was the last one to go down. That's right. So I got traded to the Rays, played for the Rays for a little bit. I don't remember how long that was, but I played for the Rays. They DFA'd me, and I signed back to playing AAA with the Scranton Rail Riders. And the, I did not get called up in September. I went and played for Team USA again 10 years later mm-hmm. for in Guadalajara, Mexico, and Japan. And then 2020, before the pandemic, I signed with the Yankees. Pandemic shortened, so I played all-time pitcher for the backyard wiffle ball team. That's not on my. That's not on my resume. <laughs> and then I got. <laughs> I went to the alternate site. I don't know if you call it AAA, but I went to the alternate site and I went to the big leagues. Finished my career in the big leagues, and now I am the eighth grade middle school baseball coach. That is real. Oh, that's interesting. I did not realize that. But you only <laughs> missed one. Two thousand three. You had a stop in Charleston, West Virginia. Do you remember that one? Oh my goodness! How did I forget that? <laughs> How did I forget that? That good for you. Good for you. I missed I missed that because at the end of that was at the end of extended. Mm-hmm. They sent me up there and I was like, yes, because that was only you know three hours from my house. That okay. was per- in Virginia. That was perfect. I mean, nobody wants to go to Charleston, West Virginia, but I got to. <laughs> and and I ended up spending you know no time there. I was just there as a as a fill in. That's, you know, man, that's a, so that. many stops and like, you know, and this is after, this is the life of a 29th round draft pick who can catch and you can catch well, you're going to have a, and stay relatively healthy. You're going to have a, a long career like this, which is what you ended up doing. I'm curious about one thing, just because I know how certain organizations are uh, when they achieved this, you spent a handful of games with the Royals in 2015. Did you get a world series ring out of that? Oh yeah. I ended up spending about half the season there, but when you play behind Salvador Perez, you yeah. just kind of, you just kind of, I did get a ring. I got a ring. I got a, you know, and it is something that I cherish. I really, you know, I consider myself a world series winner as much Absolutely as. Absolutely. You should. Yep. It was, it was difficult. It was a difficult, you know, it was difficult to get taken off the roster, but it was so awesome to, to watch my teammates complete that. Did, did every call up, I mean, I mean, your first call-up, you were in the uh, pros for nine years already. You're 30 years old. I know, you know, I know how you are, you know, and I can imagine what the emotion was. But does every call-up after that feel? Does it have a similar feel to it, or is it kind of part of the journey? Every time you get called up to the big leagues, is there a certain wow? There's always a certain wow. I think it's a different. I think it's a different feeling. When you first get called up, it's that feeling of accomplishment. But because there was never, you know, there was never any guaranteed contracts. There's never any. I was playing. It was more of like, what's the next thing? How do I stay up there? What have, what have I learned in the last trip to the minor leagues? Because obviously you heard there's a lot of minor league trips. But <laughs> it's something that it was always the goal to get up there, but then it was also the goal to stay too. And it was never, 
it was never something that I took for granted. And I think if I had gotten called up earlier, I think if I had gotten called, you know, up more often and or stayed up more often, maybe I wouldn't have had as much of appreciation as, as what I do have or as what I what I did have when I was playing. It was it was something that I took I never I hope I never took one of my call ups for granted. So the other side of that, what does every time you get called into that big league manager's office and they tell you you're going back down or you're DFA'd or something to that effect, what does that feel like? It hurts. I think it hurts. As much as it's exciting to call your family and call your wife and tell them you're getting called up, it hurts walking, feeling that tap on your shoulder, whether it's at the end of spring training and you knew you weren't going to make the team, it still hurts. Like if you played well and they were like, Hey, you know, you got a shot, you got to play this out. By, by the end of my career, I, you know, you learn what's real and what's not real, but you don't go into spring training and say, you know what? I'm going to really just play my, my most triple a ball I can when I'm in spring training, I'm going to go, you know, you're going to, you're going to win player of the year in spring training when you're working out in the off season, when you're pushing yourself to get ready. And so to go into the manager's office, you know, it like there's a way to be professional and there's a way to not be professional. And there were times that I wasn't professional, um, that I felt like I was being slighted or whatever, whatever you, you know, it's not fair. This is, you know, why is it that guy? And you learn more. And there are times, though, that you have to, as a player, especially as an older player throughout my career, you have to stand up for yourself and you have to speak for what what you feel is fair or unfair. You're you're basically a real life Crash Davis, right? I mean, I, I feel like you watch that movie differently than we do because you feel his pain. I do. It's a little bit of a it's a. It feels like a little bit of a slight because Crash Davis was a really good hitter, so you can't slight you can't slight him that, that it's much. It's a slight to him, not to him. It's a slight to him. Yeah, it's not a slight to me. No, I mean, I, honestly, when you say it, it's it's fun and it's enjoyable. I heard a scout say it one time. He's like, "Yeah, oh yeah, yeah." He was sitting at the table with me, and he was he was kind of arrogant. And he was sitting there. He's like, oh, man, I remember watching you in, in so-and-so city. And he's like, oh, man, I, I just love watching you play. You know, I remember I remember, I was telling other scouts, yeah, that's Crash, Crash Davis. And I was like, yeah, well, I, didn't really, I don't really need you to say that. <laughs> like, it wasn't, one, I don't really know who you are. Two, like, you're the one that's kind of evaluating me. And at the time when he saw me, I was having a – triple a all-star season but it was still like i was like dang it like i was at my one of my better but i was i feel bad for crash davis because he didn't quite have the illustrious career that i had now the one thing (laughs) crash davis talks about is the 21 glorious days he spent in the major leagues once i'm wondering if your first call up in pittsburgh kind of had that feel to it where everything was just gorgeous and beautiful and the best you'd ever seen it it really was I mean, I had been in big league camp, so I felt like I knew what that meant. Um, but it really was. And ironically, I almost spent 21 days my first call-up. <laughs> that's like, 
holy crap. And then it took a whole nother season until I got called up in September with the Phillies. So it was like, Oof. am I Crash Davis? Like, this is terrible. <laughs> but Crash Davis had like 200 minor league home runs. Yeah. That was my solace. Anyway, uh, no, it, it really was. Like, even to play for a team like the Pirates at the time who was rebuilding, like, you're playing in one of the best stadiums in the league. And ironically, people, somebody looked back at my debut and they were like, holy cow, there were 30,000 people at your debut in Pittsburgh? And it's like, if you've been to Pittsburgh, when the Pirates are good or it's a nice night, the fans absolutely love coming out. And it is like an awesome place to play. The adrenaline is flowing. Um, and the Pirates have done an immaculate job on the facilities in the stadium. So it's like, it was, it was truly the big leagues. Not like some of the stories that I heard about, you know, the Marlins stuff or like, you know, some of their planes that they fly on. And, you know, so it was, it was truly a big league experience for me. It wasn't the propeller jet from major league. It wasn't that one. That's what I think of like the guy duct tape and yeah, 747 <laughs> to Chicago. Nice. Uh, listen, I, I, when I looked at the, you know, there's a great, um, spot on the baseball reference page, especially when you look at minor leagues where they, they show you how much older or younger a player is than the league average. And when you're a younger player, it's all pretty similar, but the last basically 10 years of your career, you are significantly older on average than everybody on the roster. And it, you know, and I don't mean this as a slight, it just feels like, I mean, you've lasted, you have a lifetime of experience, you've been playing since these guys were in grade school, some of them, and you have the ability to be an extra coach, an extra set of eyes for these guys that, you know, you dress in the same room, so you're one of them, but you're kind of a little bit more than that. Did you, did you just start, was there a point where you just started to feel that? Do you, do you remember that transition as, did it just become you at some point? I, I enjoyed that part of it. And I don't know exactly, like if I were to say when that happens, you know, you leave the blue Jays where organization, whether or not you've gotten older, you still came in together with a lot of those guys. And a lot of my buddies, they were out of the game by that time, by the time I left and they, so it was like I couldn't be an older soul to those guys. I go to the Pirates, and um, a guy that had a great career in uh, Japan was was on that team with me, Jeremy Powell. And he was, I think, like 34 at the time, and I was 29. So it was like I looked at him, and I'm like, whoa, this guy, you know, he's still doing it. So he was kind of like the older guy. And then in – the next year in 10, now there wasn't as many. There was a couple guys. Brian Myro was a little bit older than me. Um, a couple guys in and out that were older than me. So I never really felt it until that offseason when I played Team USA. And it was like, it was me, Brad Eldred, and every Royals prospect ever that now has, you know, $100 million in the bank from <laughs> the Stockets and Hosmer. Yeah. And we had an outfielder. We had a guy playing left field because we had Brett Jackson in center and he was a prospect with the Cubs that never, I thought he was the best player we had. So our left fielder, Mark Trout, Mike, Mike Trout, oh, that's yes, what it was. Yes, yeah. yes, I've heard of him. He slid into center once Brett Jackson 
got hurt, you know? So it was like these guys, I remember like seeing these guys and I remember that was the first time when one of the guys was like, yeah, dad. And I was like, <laughs> all right, well, that's cool. But maybe more like big brother. At <laughs> 2014, I get, I get traded to the, to the Royals. All those prospects are on that team. You know, Tim Collins, Danny Duffy, Hosmer, Moose, uh, Mike Montgomery had already gotten traded. So, you know, all those guys were on that team. And I was that big brother. And I felt, I felt like more of the big brother than the dad figure. Yeah. I think, I think your dad scolds you. But I also think your big brother can put you in your place. By holding your by holding your hands down and being like you're gonna stop you're gonna stop stop and you're like all right fine <laughs> I'll stop you know and so that that's where I really think that's where the transition kind of happened but even in eleven then you know I went to the Phillies and that was a big league team that was coming off five four straight playoffs and so there was a lot of focus there and I felt like they brought in a lot of equal age players or equal career path players to AAA to help out with the prospects. And so I never felt that like older leadership role again until, cause then I went big leagues, big leagues, big leagues until then I was with the blue Jays in 14 up and down in AAA. And that's when I really felt like it started the transition. But by that time I was 34, yeah. you know, you talk about 34 now in the minor leagues teams aren't teams aren't willing to take that, I don't know if it's a chance or aren't willing to put those guys out there anymore. So I was, I was really one of the last waves of guys that was fortunate to be able to do that. The fun you had was pretty evident last year. We got to see it. You know, hot mics are great sometimes. And when they catch you running out to catch Davey Garcia, who, who at that point, he could be, you know, your son because that's how, that's how young he is. And you were 40 last year catching in the big leagues. And you run out, they catch you all excited, Sam. I, I can't wait to go play catch with my son. And everybody loved just the energy behind that. Especially, I think especially, Kratzy, just because – how heavy last year felt 2020 felt like heavy all the way around and to just watch some tiny amount of joy coming out of that. It, it lit everybody up and in a stadium full of people, we wouldn't have heard you say that without anybody in the fans, the mics picked you up saying that, and it was part of the fun of it. And you enjoyed, I think, that part of it, but you also showed us the deeper meaning when somebody asked you in one of our Zoom press conferences about the relationship you have with not just Davey, but young pitchers like that, and specifically young pitchers from the Dominican or other foreign nations that you have to try to develop. And you you gave a wonderful, heartfelt answer about just being just being a dad for somebody who whose dad was thousands of miles away and i don't know if like in the moment since then you i don't know how much you had time to think about that answer in the moment but since then and knowing how you answered and how you felt i'm wondering if you can expand on that a little bit for people and just tell them the responsibility that goes with playing baseball yeah i i think in the moment, I didn't have a lot of time to think about the answer, but I, I don't ever, all my times I have time to think about an answer, my answers suck. <laughs> and so what you get, what you get from me is 
is what I hope is what I hope I live out. And and it was cool and a little bit embarrassing to see it, you know, all come out in that moment. Um, but I, I I view it because I watched my I watched my parents the way that they raised me, the way that they worked. I view it less as in baseball and more in just in life. Like I'm yeah, I play baseball. That was my profession, but it's not who I was. And I really, I really hope that that didn't ever come across that. Oh, wow. He's, you know, he's a baseball player. He's a, I hope people say that I'm a, that I'm a good man, a good father, a good husband, all those things. And I think in that moment, you know, it's something that I do really feel. It's not like every day I wrote something down. Okay. I got to go and say, hi to Masa because he's probably, you know, he's probably lonely, you know, not being able to be around his family, you know, being from Japan, all that stuff. No, it was something that I just wanted to be present and I wanted to be there for, I'll be there for DJ the Mayhew. DJ the Mayhew is not going to say a ton of words, but I felt like I wasn't going to just, you know, go and bombard anybody. I just wanted to be, the best as somebody that doesn't play you gotta you gotta try to be the best teammate as you can but honestly truthfully so that doesn't mean anything about being a teammate that means about being a person and it doesn't mean that i'm you know i'm all peaches and cream roses and tulips you know i feel like being honest and being a great teammate a great person and being humble you have to be able to help people through things and help like everybody, everybody can come. If somebody has a cut, everybody can come and put a bandaid on it. But where are you before that person gets cut to keep them from cutting themselves? Sometimes the cold, hard truth helps. And I, and I think maybe the emotion in the interview, maybe, you know, the, it it culminated from what I feel like I put out there, what I feel like I give to guys Never, I mean, I don't, I don't expect anybody to be like, oh my gosh, Kratz, thank you so much. Because you expect something in return from doing good deeds, then you're just constantly like, well, where's my, where's my reward? I just think it's what you're supposed to do. And I think there is no more of an example of that when you have guys that are 20 years old and my son is 14 and I'm like, yeah. Like these guys might not even be free agency in free agency by the time my son gets to the big leagues, you know. So it's something like, what if what if one of these people meets me on the street? What if you know? It shouldn't matter what your status is. It shouldn't matter where you're from. In baseball specifically, we're going for the same goal, and the same goal was to win, and that means that I'm going to encourage. Giancarlo Stanton and Debbie Garcia the same way, but I'm also going to, I'm also going to rip on them the same way. I'm also going to, it's because it's the same goal. And I think last year as a country, I don't think we had a lot of the same goals. And I think it was something that everything, it doesn't matter which side you're on. If we think about other people and we truly care for everybody around us, I think we would have had a lot better of a 2020. Not that it was going to be great anyway, but I think we would have 
we would have had a lot better. And, and a lot of the, the outpouring that I got from, from that interview, it was awesome. Like, you know, career minor league guys that are Latino players that are bullpen catchers now on other teams were coming up to me, coaches from other teams, you know, it was stuff that was, it was really, it was really cool. Obviously nobody wants to sit here and cry on a zoom, but <laughs> I'm a crier. So that's what happens. Well, and you know, the idea was that you, you told people that you would ha- you felt a responsibility because these people were coming from far away and left their family and what they were dealing with is maybe something that a lot of people don't understand. Uh, but you get it in a baseball locker room and you were looking out for them. And this is why, you know, maybe being 40 and your son is 14 really plays into this. You were looking out for them as if, as you hoped somebody would look out for your children if they were going someplace to a foreign land to play baseball as teenagers or, or young adults. And it kind of came full circle when I got a chance to ask Davey Garcia about a week ago about the relationship he had with you and what it meant. And he answered it almost the exact same way, but with the opposite perspective, that he would hope that 20 years from now, somebody would treat his family the way you treated him. And I know you saw that answer. I wonder what came to you in that moment when you heard him answer that question. It's good for him. You know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't expect... Any other answer from him, from the Davy that I know? Uh, but, you know, there's times when a year of success can get to people. And I think that's what, just his answer, I love it for him. I love it. Because, you know, I was, I was joking, I was joking with him about the fact that after the offseason, you know, he had blue hair when he was down in Dominican. <laughs> yeah. You know, and some people will look at him and be like, oh, you know, he's got a little bit in the big leagues and now no he just like he's 21 yeah i had sun in well i mean i had hair but i had sun in (laughs) i had sun in in my hair when i was 21 going down to spring break to play our 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 baseball tournament my senior year you know put it in perspective honestly truly look at it yes some people need to be held to a higher standard davy is 21 22 years old in the limelight in, on a team that in a popularity that is huge all around the world and the way he handles himself to answer it like that is, is the true him and, and I wish people could see the more the more authentic him I think sometimes in Zoom interviews it's harder to but he's also only 21, 22 years old now so I think I can't tell you how far he's going to go in the big leagues, how long he's going to be in the big leagues. Is he going to have a Pedro type of career? Is he going to have a, you know, put in another prospect that didn't amount to anything type of career? You can't, you can, you can't decide that, but I can decide what kind of person he is. And his answer there is, is awesome. And, And in no way, was it was it me that taught him that it was you know his parents his the people around him maybe even his agent like those things are you hear from young players what is talked about around them and so he has humbled people around them if you hear constantly that oh i'm being screwed this i'm being screwed that 
It just means they're going home, they're texting, the whatever it is, and they have people at home that are that are influencing those decisions. At the end of last season, as we got to see you at work, um, it seemed a near unanimous opinion that you could do whatever you chose to do in baseball, um, what you wanted your next part of your career to be. Managing, broadcasting were the two options that were presented the most often. Uh, which of those uh, do you feel is in your future? Maybe not now because, you know, your middle school team needs you. I don't want you to walk away from them right now. But yep. I don't know. Give me two, three years down the road. What do you see yourself doing? Well, man, I, I, I don't. Two, three years down the road, I would love to say I'm in broadcasting of some kind. I'm in some type of radio, TV, podcast. My podcast is fledgling. Getting off the, I still sound like I'm in a, in an empty warehouse. I echo, so I'm still trying to figure that part of it out. Um, I got a nice microphone, so I didn't get to use it on this Zoom. But no, I really, I, I hope, like when I say broadcasting, you know, something on TV or radio, that I'll that I'm able to be home more often. Um, could I? I was fortunate. I got offered a coaching position in the big leagues with the team. And it was something that while it was career wise, it was hard to turn down, but it wasn't hard to turn down decision wise um, because I didn't stop playing because I physically can't like, I physically feel like I can play for five more years, but as a backup catcher, you don't play very much. So <laughs> there's not much wear and tear. So it's pretty much just like I could play every once in a while and get to watch games. Um, but it was, it was time to be home more. Like, even if there was a big league team in my hometown of Telford, Pennsylvania, and they asked me to be a coach there, I, I don't know if right now I would be, I would be ready to, to leave my family for all those road trips, for spring training for two months. Um, so the broadcasting and TV is, could be more of a sporadic schedule, could be more of a solidified schedule that I can work my family, I, I want to work my next career around my family, whatever that is. I got, I got offered a, the high school position before I took the eighth grade position and I turned it down because the guy was like, he was like, well, you know, would you want to be the assistant coach so you don't have the responsibility? I was like, it's not the responsibility, it's the time. And I don't have anybody in high school right now. So if somebody was playing on that team in my family, Boom. I'm even coaching basketball right now. Wow. I know nothing about basketball. <laughs> we, the Bulls are doing well, but that's because we have good players and they're a lot of fun to coach. So I am more of an encourager and a safety keeper. I got my first technical the other day. I'm not proud of it. I'm not uh, proud of it. But you found the secret to, to coaching. It's the horses, not the jockeys in most cases, right? It is so much. <laughs> like I, I need to figure out, tweak a few things. The playoffs are coming up. But it's, I mean, Look at look at Aaron Boone. Look what Aaron Boone's doing. Not to really delve into it, but the guy really has a great staff of coaches. He has a great way with people. He can talk to people genuinely, and that's that. That is what you need. If you can't be genuine, you can't make that relationship with a Giancarlo Stanton to a Mike Tockman across to a Jordan Montgomery up to a Garrett Cole. 
that makes the whole you, you you have to have that relationship or one of those guys is going to feel like they're less important and you're not going to push all the way in to the world series championship my thanks to eric kratz you certainly haven't heard the last of him perhaps we bring him back here for an encore perhaps you'll see him or hear him as a baseball analyst one day soon for now those eighth graders are the lucky ones who get to be coached by a guy who defined journeyman but that also means he played the game at the highest level and earned respect at the highest level too if you're new here to 30 with murdy please check out the archive at radio.com or apple Podcasts for recent conversations like the one i had with jack aker the 80 year old former major league reliever who regaled me with stories about satchel page and hank aaron and many others I also spoke recently to Robert Kamen, screenwriter of the original Karate Kid movies, for his thoughts on the Netflix series Cobra Kai. Please make sure to subscribe and review and all that jazz. And until next time, I'm Sweeney Murdy. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or... I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.